Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Meow! Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Father John here with my good friend, Father Nathan Goble, on a lovely November evening. It's kind of depressing. It's four o'clock in the afternoon, the sun is setting, and yep. we're in a dark podcast studio. And we don't, we, don't have a, uh, we don't have a lamp in here. So we don't have a lamp, so it's kind of... A little depressing, which is perfect for our topic tonight. When celibates go crazy on spring break, they go to the Oregon coast, ah! where it's freezing cold, and uh, we sit in a cabin. Thanks to um, what was that guy's name? My dad's buddy, Al Borland. Al Borland, who took us to uh, IKEA for <laughs> Swedish meatballs, and then gave us the keys to his cabin uh, outside of Walport, Oregon. Uh-huh. Beautiful place, right on the coast. Oh. We sat, we played. A lot of cribbage. That's mm-hmm. all I remember. And then at one point, uh, we went for a little dip in the Pacific Ocean. Yep. I was standing out on the beach, uh, ready to run in, and I watched this huge man come busting out of the cabin, my very f- good friend here in my presence. He managed to find this like 15-foot American flag and just ran it across the beach right. into the ocean. And there's no, there's only, there's only two pictures of it because Mike took a picture. Father Mike Rapp took a picture on his phone. And uh, and then he got rid of the phone because, like, I don't know. Yep. But and I realized in that moment forever. that you have an amazing ability to sit in freezing cold water and not be affected whatsoever. And I saw it again on Monday when we were at Strawberry Hot Springs oh, yeah. and you did a swan dive out of the hot springs into the river. This is a yeah. steamboat, like amidst pieces of ice floating down the river. It was delicious. It was amazing. Yep. The uh, but Sea the- lions have a tendency to withstand more. More of the cold than... Little sea otters like Jason Wunsch. The svelte sea otter. (laughs) The uh, topic today is uh, a rather boring one. And uh, again, I wish Father Nathan wasn't uh, just drinking water there because uh, he's going to be asleep in about three minutes here. I'm double fisting it with caffeine. banking on it. In fact, I need to watch our time here because this could be extremely boring. What what we're talking about tonight is Rene Descartes. Descartes. This is one of those weeks where... um, I didn't really get around to preparing a podcast, so I'm just going to talk about uh, what I've been reading, which I think is really interesting. And out of the the people that listen to this podcast, I'm banking on like two or three of them actually being like, that was awesome, because right. they're super nerds and they're into philosophy. Well, he's not a super nerd, but Terry Wright will probably have a few things to yeah, say about it. Yeah, Terry Wright hasn't had a shout out in like two podcasts, two podcasts. so that's probably good. So, um, Actually, it's only been one because uh, the last one that came out was the Being Consumed. That's right. So, Well, I'm looking at a photo of Rene Descartes on my phone here, and the first thing to notice is he's got a killer mustache. Well, he was, a, he was French. He was French. Uh, born in uh, March of 1596, died uh, in the year 1650, age 53. Remarkable and brilliant man. Catholic man. Catholic man. Trying to be a good Catholic. That's why he was unfolded into Catholic stuff you should know. But he did something that was rather destructive. So when you think of Descartes, what do you think of? I think, therefore I am. Bam. It's about all I remember. Cogito ergo sum, his famous line, right? And uh, which we're going to kind of unpack it. I remember being in philosophy class uh, back at the College Seminary University of St. Thomas in Minnesota. And the professor, I was used to refer to it as the rape and pillage of the universe by the demiurgical Cogito, right? Cogito, I think. Wow. His phrase. He talked about the destruction, the, destru- <laughs> the destruction of the universe by this one phrase. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to unpack it a little bit tonight uh, in a, in, 
with the hope that it's not excessively boring. Does that sound good to you? Why not? You know, if you're Becca Messel and you're listening to this, though, you're thinking, I think, therefore, I be. Do you know what that stands for? Mm, I be rocking that club? No. <laughs> that close, but the International Baccalaureate Program, of which she is a, um, I think, therefore, I be. They think they're real clever. <laughs> and they, uh, some IB students are listening to this, I'm sure, somewhere in the United States. But uh, Descartes... So let's just set the framework for Descartes. He's writing um, in the early 1600s in France, and um, he is coming out of the medieval period. Descartes is really the bridge between uh, the medieval world, especially the Renaissance of the, of the 1500s, uh, and then into the modern world. He's really one of the first modern thinkers, and what he does is create really the foundation upon which modern philosophy is going to keep reacting against itself and it's going to keep trying to define itself, but it all begins with Descartes. Okay. So a little backdrop. Um, the medieval world is this amazing philosophical world where, um, where the, the kind of astounding and there's this new import of Aristotle and everything's happening, but it gets kind of out of control and eventually it collapses into skepticism. Okay. So skepticism being the philosophical um, conviction that all we know for certainty is doubt. Okay. Okay. There's a guy named Montaigne who is going to be... Ray. Uh, not Ray LaMontagne, but a beautiful connection. How about that? Yeah, Montaigne. Um, not like... It's spelled like Devin Montaigne, who doesn't listen to the podcast. Oh. A local artist here in Denver, Catholic artist. Go on. So Montaigne uh, becomes uh, a true skeptic. And Descartes is a 17-year-old kid studying in France, and he's studying the philosophy of Montaigne, and he just basically despairs. He's, he's just basically saying, I guess all we can say philosophically is that we can't know anything, right? We don't know anything. Hmm. Um, and um, then he starts to study under this priest named Father Clavius. Father Clavius is known as the uh, modern Euclid. He's this great mathematician, Jesuit. Early 1600s here, so um, 1610, 1620, somewhere in there. And so Descartes falls in love with mathematics. And what he falls in love with in particular is the, the intellectual certainty that one gets from mathematical knowledge. Yep. And what he d- decides, and there's this kind of famous story, he's in, he's, um, Descartes ends up um, enlisting into the, into the army of Maximilian, this is in Germany at the time, and they don't have anybody to fight, so he's kind of holed up for a winter in uh, in this cabin, kind of in this small German town in the winter, and he has this epiphany um, that mathematics is the answer to recovering and getting out of skepticism. So mathematical knowledge is going to be the way that we're going to be able to recover uh, any ability to say that we can make true, necessary claims about knowledge, mm-hmm. that we can know the truth. Does that make sense? Sure. I think of uh, my beloved pastor, Father Felix Medina here, because when he gets crazy and does crazy things, which he is uh, apt to do, um, you know, we always say to him, you studied too much math, because he was a mathematician coming out of Salamanca, and he always goes, man, that's his famous line, man, man. so Father Felix studying too much math, Descartes, he studied too much math as well, and you get crazy when you study math. True, certain, what was it? Uh, well, we're going to talk about clear and distinct ideas here okay. in a second. But so from his mathematical knowledge and his understanding of geometry and what he tries to do is he tries to say, forget all these different sciences. Let's put everything under mathematics, particularly under geometry. Let's see if we can derive all knowledge as mathematical certainty mm-hmm. because mathematical knowledge is the only kind of knowledge that 
gives us necessary true knowledge, yeah. right? So all knowledge has to be mathematical is basically how he describes it. If you're wondering where, where the hell am I getting this from? This is an amazing book. If you are into philosophy, it's called, it's by a guy named Etienne Gilson, great 20th century Catholic philosopher who wrote a book called the unity of philosophical experience. Right. And he wrote this section that we're talking from is called the Cartesian experiment. It's much more uh, elaborated and beautiful and eloquent than what you're getting in this uh, 20 minute podcast here. So, um, Descartes sets out to reestablish all knowledge and all, especially philosophical knowledge, based on mathematics. From that, he derives this cogito, I think, therefore I am. All right. So the only thing I can really be certain of, he's coming out of skepticism, is he's saying, um, the only thing I can really know is that I think. Right? I'm, I'm a thinking thing. So he says, let's begin with thought. All right. Now that's really different than like Aquinas or Aristotle who begin in reality, right? Mm-hmm. We begin in things. All knowledge begins and all knowledge follows through sense perceptions, right? Yep. We begin by knowing things and actually Aquinas defines truth as you remember? The yep. conformity, you got it. That was perfect. The conformity of the intellect to reality. reality. Yep. You got it. So, uh Descartes going to do the opposite thing. He's going to start in thought and he's going to say I think therefore I am. So that's the first thing. Modern thought uh and Cartesian thought is all about thought defining existence. Does that make sense? As opposed that's to reality. Opposing to starting with reality. Yeah. And the, the really the problem is he's never going to get back to reality and we're going to see that hopefully in the next uh, couple minutes here. So Descartes sets out to say uh let's let's see if we can come to philosophical knowledge that is uh, mathematical. And what he finds is that basically philosophy gets reduced to three different things. We can only know three things that are clear and distinct ideas, right? Mm-hmm. That have the same kind of certainty as mathematical knowledge. And those three things are thought, God, and extension. Extension. You're saying, what the heck is extension? Extension is everything else, is matter, right? Mm-hmm. Is that there are things. And he's he's understanding um, extension as uh, as just or excuse me, as matter, as just this geometrical extension. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a second, why that's problematic. So the first thing he derives is that I am because I think, okay? And that God must exist because of the uh, causality, because how am I a thinking thing? How did I come to exist? Well, there must be this God in himself who has created me, right? So he can derive that God exists. But the problem is, how do you get back to reality, how do you get back to things outside of my mind, yeah. especially um, my body? Even the conception of God is a conception. He's not even a reality. He's just an idea. Exactly. Yeah. And so the three kind of isms that are going to mark Descartes' thought are mathematicism, what he calls spiritualism, and idealism. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mathematicism, number one, is going to be the kind of first principle and foundation that says uh, that the method by which we come to know things is that it has to have mathematical certainty. That's mathematicism. Okay. And you're saying to yourself, why does this matter? Which is a really good question. Do you have any thoughts on why this actually matters? Well, I mean, I, I don't really know Descartes that well, but I just, as you're explaining it and knowing what little I know about Aquinas, the first thing that Aquinas begins with is God. And he, he doesn't even start to define God. I mean, he just assumes like it, it, he is, and he'll show he'll show the cosmological proofs. But like he's just showing that God is. He's not proving God. He's already he's already starting with God. Whereas um, 
and then from God, creatures, and then, you know, angels and all that stuff. But then Descartes is actually beginning from himself. So you see, like, how all of reality starts with me. You know, the ego becomes really strong in um, in Descartes' thought and then on after that. And I, um, as opposed to as opposed to uh, Thomas, which seems that he certainly has an importance on man, but not man as an individual, but man as an individual in relation, uh, one as a creature and two as uh, a member of a social structure. Right, and what we're going to find is that all relationality is gone because causality is gone because we've lost touch with everything. God is merely an idea that I can come to because I have derived my own existence because of the fact that I'm thinking right now. I'm a res cogitans, which is the name of my computer. Super nerdy. But nice. Res cogitans, right? My, mine's it's a, a thinking thing. Anima technica vacua. Uh, very good. This is what priests do in our spare time. We name our computers after weird, bizarre, geeky, philosophical. Geeky things. Geeky things. The um, And so... Um, so you can see how in the modern world, and we're we're really we're post we're postmodern now, but we're still affected by the by the systems of modernity. So when people come to me and say things like, "I don't experience God," "I don't think God exists," "I'm trying to figure out if I think God exists," "I'm trying to figure out what is my worldview," that's all the same thing. Which is everything begins in me. I become the arbiter of truth. Everything begins with my thought, and I determine that which exists. And it's so commonplace to talk to people nowadays. And even as Catholics, we think about this, like um, that God is um, kind of dependent on our thought, right? Do I think God exists? Do I feel like God exists? Have I experienced God? No. Well, then I don't want to, I don't, I don't really care. I'm not going to go to mass or I'm not going to whatever, right? So you can see how uh, even nowadays we're still kind of trapped in our minds and we don't begin in reality. And I think it's just an extremely kind of, Cartesian thing that has, it's never really left, right? It's always been in the modern world and it's still in us uh, 500 years later. You're thinking, you're a thinking thing. I'm a thinking thing right now. Right now. Any thoughts, feelings, desires on that? Yeah, I mean, I had a guy in my office the other day and he was he was saying like he's having a hard time like coming to the understanding, coming to the belief about God. And uh, it, I mean... Part of me just doesn't feel like I have to prove to him God's existence. It actually takes more legwork to come to a disbelief about who that God is than it does to believe that that he is there. But the difference is there may be a God, but what the hell does that matter to me? Exactly. You know, and like with Revelation, now all of a sudden it's like um, God has actually done something in the world and in our own day and time. And God is actually believing in you because he, you know, he was baptized and yet he's kind of having some struggles. But I was like, even if you're not believing, God is believing in himself in you. And that's faith. Um, And that's the gift of faith. And it's not necessarily something that is just like, I got to figure all this out so that once I've got it all figured out, then God will say, well done, here's a gold star. And that's called faith. He's actually, it's hard for you to come to the knowledge of who I am. Um, So he gives us revelation, but even more so he imparts knowledge of himself to us. I thought that was nice. Took the pressure off me, frankly, because yeah. I didn't know what the hell to tell him. And there's a, I forget who said this, but um, somebody affects the, so the cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am. And he said, I think it was a Jesuit. I don't know. Terry Wright was, is probably cringing right now that we don't remember anything from philosophy classes, yep. but um, somebody said cogitor ergo sum. Yes. That's what I was just looking for. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. And it means 
Isn't that I am thought about? I'm thought, therefore I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was... Look, you can look it on there. I wasn't looking up sports Check scores. you out. I thought you were looking for but like... But that's so much, so much more helpful than the cogito. Right. Because then it's about my action and me scraping up any like... Uh, logic in my mind to come to the the mathematical formula that I'm like, okay, I can actually believe that God exists as opposed to I am thought into existence. Right. And and yeah. that's and that it just totally flips everything on its head. Koji tor ergo sum. Yeah. I am thought, therefore I am. And it puts it back in the mind of God. Again, which starts with with God. Because what, what Descartes does with the Kojito is it's a shift from the medieval uh, understanding which is a theocentric and a cosmologically centric, so like beginning with God, mm-hmm. to anthropocentric. So it's it's centered on man. Yep. I become the center of the universe. That's why that philosophy professor said it's the rape and the pillage of the universe by the demiurgical cogito, right? It just has wiped out the universe because now we begin with man instead of beginning with God himself. Yep. What's interesting at the beginning of the Summa is Aquinas actually says, he starts with some methodology and distinguishing the sciences because that's where we get into trouble with Descartes. Because this guy's trying to do a really good thing here. He's trying to rescue us from skepticism. Ray LaMontagne's skepticism, right? How dare you. How dare you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, all of a sudden, we get ourselves trapped up. If we don't have the sciences right, if we don't have the order of the sciences right, then everything gets crazy. This is why I have in my marriage prep class an atheist who is all about, he's, a phys- he's, um, he's studying physics in college. And he just thinks belief in God is the most absurd thing ever. Well, he doesn't have an understanding of the ordering of sciences, right? Because philosophy just gets enveloped into the scientific method, just like it does into the mathematical method of Descartes. So Thomas does a really good thing by kind of distinguishing that and then treating and proving the existence of God and then going from there. So the other problem with Descartes is it's a shift from a God-centered worldview to a man-centered worldview that marks the modern age. But also, there's a shift between two philosophical sciences called epistemology and metaphysics, right? Which are? Study of knowledge and the study of being. Right. And for the classical and the medieval understanding, you start with being, right? You start with things, things that are. You presuppose a metaphysical realism, right? Um, And then you talk about how do you come to know that thing. So metaphysics is the foundation, and then epistemology right what happens is everything got flipped upside down so descartes when he says i think therefore i am he's starting with epistemology with how do i know how do i know things and then can i derive existence being metaphysics yeah so metaphysics follows from his epistemology this is why in our beautiful wonderful philosophical training by dr selner wright dr terry wright's wife yeah we start with metaphysics get the foundation. Then you study epistemology with Dr. Tom McLaughlin, which is a class I hated and then ended up writing my uh, my thesis under him, but that's a whole mm-hmm. other story. And, um, T-Mac. T-Mac. And, and you can see how it gets problematic when you start with epistemology. But guess what? You go up to CU right now and you study um, and you say to somebody, I'd like to register for a metaphysics class to make sure that I, I have a solid foundation of, you know, uh, metaphysical realism before mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. start to study the ways of knowing, they just laugh at you. You start with epistemology. When I was in high school, I took a philosophy class. It was just epistemology. Yeah. And what happens is that in the modern world, you, you just destroy metaphysics, basically. And and there's some attempts to get back to metaphysics, but it basically becomes all about epistemology. Philosophy becomes about how do we know things instead of are there real things? And we get lost. 
And what happens is that Descartes never gets back to matter. He never gets back to the body, right? So instead of this body and soul, man is a composite of body and soul, which we see in Aristotle, we see in Aquinas, man becomes a res cogiton. I'm I'm like a machine that is thinking, Mm -hmm. but I can't get to this thing that's called extension, right? Matter, so to speak, including my body. So then you have the question of, do I know if this exists? And it starts to look like the matrix, frankly, right? And you can see why we're still like, oh, isn't it cool? The Matrix, the movie, these different things like that. Well, it all comes back to this kind of modern problem, which is we're starting in the wrong spot. Yes, we're deriving conclusions, and and uh, Descartes gets to conclusions based on where he starts, but he's starting in the wrong place. Yeah, and that's how we never get there. So what Descartes ends up doing is saying, how do we get to extension? Well, it has to be through God, and this is where it gets really kind of creepy. He starts to say that things like. Everything that is going on in the world that I seem to be perceiving, I'm actually not perceiving. God corresponds and puts that in my brain. Isn't that crazy? Mm. So I'm not looking at you right now, right? I'm not actually perceiving a nature that is moving because there's no such thing as causality. There's no such thing as motion. Um, God just puts this idea of the perception of you in my brain. And you're not even a substance. You're not even a real thing. God just creates you and creates the perception of yep. you at every moment of my life. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. And so for Descartes, God starts to look like a demon and just kind of this crazy deceiver because nothing can really be known except those three clear and distinct ideas, um, and, and everything kind of starts to fall apart from there. The, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's when a lot of the later philosophies get into the noumena phenomena. Right. So like what is what actually is the noumena? Versus the phenomena and what is just kind of like, I don't know, like not real, but appears real. And how do I make the distinction between? And that's really what the matrix is talking about. That like everything else appears real, but then this is what's actually real. And then when you get all the way down to it, what is the matrix? Numbers. It's just him decoding reality. And once he's figured out the code, he can like throw his fist through you know mr anderson or whatever right and it it's all that mathematical extension and mm-hmm. you can break through it yep and we're still really we're still really into that um and we still kind of live by that we don't really think we do but um but it's just amazing how um the genius of a man can lead us so far astray and we can kind of fall victim to it even 500 years later basically two schools come out of descartes there is um the uh, on the continent is one, and then in England is a totally different one. Mm-hmm. In England, they, there's something called empiricism. So this guy named John Locke, who's a doctor, is writing and saying, he's about 18 years old when Descartes dies, and he's saying, wait a second, um, we don't have any sense of what perception is, right? What is this? I'm holding this book right now. Why is this not, why is this, how can I not know this? And they end up doing just perception, mm-hmm. okay? And they, ever, they never get back to substances or universal knowledge either. So like uh, these guys, we're talking about John Locke, Berkeley, who's an Anglican bishop, and then uh, David Hume is the one who's going to finally kind of put the last nail in the yeah. coffin of, of Descartes' system. On the other side, on the continent, you have these guys like Leibniz, Spinoza, Malebranche, who's a, um, a Catholic priest, Malebranche, who's a oratorian priest, trying to work out of the Cartesian system, trying to get us back to reality. And they start saying really weird stuff. Like Spinoza says that... Um, he basically says that what's happening in my mind and what's happening in the world are two different ways that the divinity is working. So he's, he becomes pantheistic, right? Everything is God, but it's just 
these two different modalities. Yeah. Just weird crap. You just get into these weird philosophical systems. Yeah. And then Hume is going to get to a point where he's going to say, there's no such thing as nature. There's no such thing as substances. All there is is sense perception. Right? So I become a bundle of sense perceptions. So yeah. I can't actually say anything. So both of them, one loses touch with reality and matter. And the other one loses any ability to abstract anything from matter. It just becomes all sensation, all perception. Mm. So the answer to that is going to be Kant. He's going to kind of close the circle. But um, the sad thing is that Descartes begins fighting uh, the skepticism of Montaigne, and it ends up dying in the skepticism of David Hume. At the end of the day, what closes the system is we're still in skepticism. Mm. And that's why even today we're still playing out in this, wor- this modern world, in this modern way of thinking that's like, well, we really can't know anything. And it's nice that we go to mass and we have priests and they talk about these things, but we, we don't really know anything. And I think that when I, well, I definitely, when I was in Boulder, I realized that so many of the problems we're facing as a church are not theological problems. They're philosophical problems. Mm. And they have to be understood, and we have to know the history of philosophy. This guy, Gilson, wrote this book because he says that what the laboratory is to the scientists, the history of philosophy is to the philosopher. If we don't know history, if we don't know thought, then we don't understand how we've been formed and how we're being influenced and how we're actually thinking right now and how that affects the way we live our lives, the way that we relate our capacity or our lack of capacity for faith. So it's interesting to know, and it seems so abstracted, and it seems like it has nothing to do with Catholic stuff, but um, in a very kind of subtle but very disturbing way, the whole foundation of faith was just ripped out from beneath us. And now we're kind of still... And even reason. Yeah, and even reason. reason. So you learn to lack trust in anything. All you can do is doubt, and you find yourself saying, I really am just a thinking thing. And when I look at people, you go down to like Aspen Grove, the mall down the street, what are people doing? They're just thinking things. They're just thinking about their life, thinking yeah. about things, thinking about trying to decide if, if things are good, what should I do? Should I go to the Mac store or should I go to Panera for a cup of coffee? It's right. just, we just live in our brains now. We live in our thought. And um, we've lost the capacity to even ask the philosophical questions. Nobody even cares. And that's mm. what's just like, oh, 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 we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I mean, I read this great article for my thesis by, I think it was David Schindler. Um, and it was entitled Homo Sapiens, Homo Faber, Homo Amens, Amans. So it's uh, like knowing man, Homo Sapiens, um, and then um, Homo Faber, working man, man the maker, and then Homo Amens, man the lover. And so when we lose our capacity to to think and start doubting that, we put all our energy into our work and all of our injury, injury energy into technical technical means and te- technology and creating a world because we can't really understand it, so we'll just make our own world. Um, but then when we get back to what is God, who is God, what does St. Saint, Saint John tell us? God is love. So us participating in God is love. God is love as love. I mean, that's both knowing and doing. You can't just feel love. There has to be some action in it, and it's there that we really come to understand this is our truest nature yeah not and and certainly knowing is part of it and certainly doing is part of it work is part of our nature and yet the deeper realities of life is our our love our moments of love so yeah anyways check it out i think it's in communio
good um good ending there we're gonna kind of wrap this yeah guy i up. gotta i gotta go and actually it, it you got pairs with my shout out because uh give a little shout out because i guarantee you he'll listen to this podcast even if i tell if i if i don't tell him that he's getting a shout out but i'm actually heading at five o'clock to joey satkowski's house for dinner he's our uh one of our maintenance guys at cabrini and he is a huge philosopher so good um he'll definitely listen to this one so sorry i'm late i'm coming I promise, and you'll get this podcast two weeks later. It's my fault that, uh, that he's late. A couple shout-outs real quick. So I uh, was at Father Dave Nix's house for a little shindig, and I met Maria from Byers, Colorado, now a student at CSU. Thanks for listening, Maria. Lieutenant John Ayers down in Carl Springs, a friend of our good friend Father Joe Digert, also a friend of uh, Tito Unglat. You know, Tito, you met Tito. Yeah, his last the unbeliever. Name, his last name means heretic. Heretic, yeah. So Tito, uh, Lieutenant John Ayers, thanks for your service to our country. And then lastly, our good friend Johnny Leindecker. What? He's got some friends. We're giving Okay, here we go. Andy and Wendy Rankin in Fort Collins and their five kids. He said Wendy's a saint and Andy can't bike as well as I can. Oh. There you go. There you go. Sounds like John Leindecker. All right, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. That's it. Thanks for listening. Cheers.